you would open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 6. We will start chapter 6 today. <clears throat> and we're going to be taking verses 1 through 5 only today. Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 5. The <clears throat> subject matter today is burdens to bear. Burdens to bear. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. So here in the verses today, <clears throat> we are picking back up where we left off at the end of chapter 5. Now, if you remember at the end of chapter 5, Paul reminded the Galatian believers that in addition to a divine judgment of the sinful nature, there is also a divine enablement in the person of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit can move through a person to bear the fruit of, uh, the, fruit of the Spirit, which is love, and you see those facets of that love listed there in uh, chapter 5, verse 22. He made the believer alive by regeneration. The Holy Spirit changed you, changed these Galatian believers, and Paul was reminding them that they were changed. So each believer is exhorted to keep in step with the Spirit once you've been regenerated. Once you've been born again of the Spirit, you are now to walk in step with God. You're not supposed to get ahead of God. You're not supposed to stay behind God. You're not to do your own thing and however you want to and think God is going to just move wherever you decide to go to. But once you've been born again, you now live in step with or to follow the words here in Galatians chapter 6, verse 16, as we get to that verse, is to follow the Spirit of God. As He leads you, you're to follow in step. <coughs> step by step, one's Christian's daily walk should conform to the Spirit's directions and, and to, to the Spirit's enablement. And if not, believers become, as Paul warns them there at the end of chapter 5, if you are not in step with the Spirit of God, then you as a believer will then, the pride will start lifting up, and you will start being what? As he says at the end of chapter 5, verse 26, become conceited. You'll start provoking one another. You'll start envying one another. And that is not what you're to do. Here in chapter 6, Paul continues the practical life of application of the grace of God. And in verses chapters 5 and 6, it is all about the application, how you as a Christian are to live out practically this grace that God talks about 
He's given you the doctrine of the justification of faith in Jesus Christ alone, and not by the law, not by works, not by doing religion, but about a relationship. See, a believer is free from the law of Moses, and we possess the liberty in the spirit, but we must must fulfill the law of Christ, and this can only be done by and in through the power of the Holy Spirit. And such a life involves sacrificial service. Sacrificial service directed toward, as we see in chapter 6, first towards sinning Christians. How do we serve? How do we do that? We'll also see a sacrificial service toward burdened Christians, you and I who are burdened by the things that are God's called us to do or things that are in our life, how do we come alongside them and help them in those burdens? And later on in the next Sunday or so, we'll see how we're to sacrificial service for pastor teachers and then ultimately all people. And so God here uses Paul, the Holy Spirit speaks to through Paul, writes these words down on the the scriptures for us today, and we will see that over the remaining of chapter 6. Now the term one another, as we saw and we read today, one another, it's a very common term that we see in the scripture. One another is the key phrase for Christian vocabulary. As we know, we're supposed to love one another. That's found in at least a dozen times in the New Testament, along with we need to pray for one another. We see that in James 5.16. We're to edify one another. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, we're to be kind and prefer one another, Romans 12.10, and use hospitality for one another. We see that in 1 Peter 4.9, and so many other places where God says we need to be involved in ministering to one another. This is not about a life, oh, I got Jesus, I'm going to heaven, and then isolate yourself and says, I don't need a fellowship. I don't need to get involved with other people. I'll just, I'll just stay home and watch it on YouTube, and I'll have this thing. It's like Facebook. You have a thousand friends, and you think you have a thousand friends. You don't have a thousand friends. You got people out there just trying to get their friend numbers up. Facebook is the one that said you should say push like. You don't know these people. It's the same thing. Some people think you can have a relationship without personally getting involved with one another. That's not how fellowship works. That's why God says you do not forsake the fellowship. If it is, then God can't use you in the life of other people or other people in your life, as he will outline here today in these five verses. But Paul adds here another phrase today in this section We are to bear one another's burdens here in verse 2. A spirit-led Christian thinks of others and how he can minister to them. And Paul describes two important ministries we will see that we must do as a Christian. How do we minister to sinning Christians? And how do we minister to those who are very heavy burdened Christians because the weight is so heavy. How are we to minister to them? Because we're supposed to minister to them because God says we're supposed to minister to one another. 
But here in the very beginning, we're going to see in verses 1 and 2 especially, to see, we have to have a mindset or an attitude to be able to do this. You have to be able to humbly see people the way God sees them. You must die of self, you must bring yourself down, and you must humble yourself to be able to have the ability for God to work through your life to be able to serve Christians who are sinning or Christians who are heavy burdened. And it's going to take that to, to see others humbly to be able to do that. Toward these Christians here, first of all, in chapter 1, Christians who have had sin. It says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. See, Paul recognized right here in the very beginning that there may be this, those among the Christians in Galatia that who had been overtaken by a sin they knew they were not supposed to do, but they got, fell to that sin. The sin kind of caught up to them of their past, kind of caught up to them and brought them down for a moment. Now, what he's not speaking to is the ones that he spoke to in chapters 5, those who practice sin. Verse, chap, uh, chapter 5, verses uh, around 19 and 20 and 21. Those who practice those lists on the sin, and that wasn't an exhaustive list, by the way. But those who practice, those who make those as a habit, that's their lifestyle. That's, that's who they believe is okay to do those things. They won't, you, th that person won't inherit the kingdom of God. But what Paul is speaking to right here is you and I who are not in habitual sin. We're not practicing those things, but we have fallen to a particular sin. It's kind of caught up. That's, as, as, he, as Paul says, it's overtaking you. It's like you're, you're, you're running to try to stay away from that sin, and it just seems like those old buddies keep catching you. To bring you back into the drunken life. Back into the drug life. It just seems like those, those the, 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 the internet and the, the, the things that are going on TV, they just kind of overcome you and just overtake you and bring you down into the sin that you do not want and have not been doing. But they got caught up in it again. Snared. It's like a net. What do you call the internet? A net? Sometimes you can get caught in that net. It can bring someone down very quickly. And so what happens is God recognizes and says, and Paul is saying here, if there's someone, a Christian, who has, who has fallen to something, what are you to do if God is about to use you in that person's life? Get the bat? You go do that one more time, bro. I'm going to, I'm going to. No. He says, you who are spiritual, you need to think about restoring in a spirit of gentleness. See, Paul deals with a hypothetical case of a Christian who is caught in sin or caught by a sin. And has been overtaken. Who's fallen. It wasn't deliberate. 
It wasn't, oh, it wasn't a habitual thing. It's just what he always does. Yeah, there was some thoughts, and it started with a thought, and then, then all of a sudden that thought came opportunity and a weakness, and, and it, like even though he was saying no, 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 but fell to it and can't seem to get out of it. Feels shame, condemned, guilt, and all the things that the enemy does and, and says, oh, you're not a Christian, must not be a Christian, and all the stuff that comes into your head to, to keep you from coming back to God by grace. That one. God says if he's going to use you to help that sinning Christian, the one who is spiritual, what does that mean? Overtaken in a trespass, overtaken in, in, in being restored. We're not talking about being ignorant. They're not, they're not to be excused. They're not to be destroyed. The goal is restoration in this person's life. And so if someone is sinning and they got caught in a sin and, 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 and trying to get out and, and asking for help, and, or maybe not, but you, it comes to light that they're in sin, but they want to desperately get out of it, how does that person get help? It's certainly not to condemn them. It's not about beating them to get out of it. It's not about trying to make excuses, say, oh, he'll deal with it. Just don't forget about it. Let him just sin. It's, it's okay. You're not going to do that either. You're not going to let sin just reign in that person's life knowing that that can destroy the man. If God's brought to light, he's going to use you in his life. You don't just sit there and, oh, I don't want to have a conflict with my brother or my sister. Because if I tell them, and, then they're not going to want to talk to me. And they're going to be really kind of, you know, uncomfortable at church because they know that I know that he's in sin. And, no, 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 don't. If you're spiritual meaning you're mature in Christ. You are walking in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. You're mature in the faith. Everything that we've been talking about here in the previous scriptures. Recognize that this person has fallen to sin. In the scripture, in the original language, it means to amend. Like someone just broke their leg and God is going to use you to help them reset their leg and to bandage and comfort them and bring them back so they can heal in time. You can't heal them, but God can heal them. But God's going to use you to help reset the bone and put it in place and put the cast, whatever God's going to use you. But you're going to do it in the spirit of gentleness. Have you ever been in orthopedics before? Sometimes you don't think they're in gentleness. They're crack, you know, chiropractor. You ever go in there? It's bad. That's why I don't go to them. But a spirit of gentleness. But it's by someone who is God is working through their life. You are not a person who sits there and says, of course I'm spiritual. I'm in the flesh myself. I don't do anything that God, I, I want to just go around and point out everyone's people's sin so that I can come in and be involved in their life and sit down and I'm going to disciple them, I'm going to do this. And you force your, yourself into their lives because you want to be the, the holy counselor. That's not what God's talking about here. You're not the holy counselor for everyone because you seem to have discernment to find sin in everyone's life. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about one who's actually walked by the Spirit, who is mature in the faith, and who has a heart of humbleness, who says, God says and puts on your heart, 
come alongside that person gently and help them to be restored. To bring them back in that right relationship with God. Bring them back to know that God loves them. That God has died for that sin. And God has forgiven them. And that God is going to bring them. And let's get smooth. Let's get start. Let's move forward. Forget the past and press forward, Paul says in other parts of Scripture. In gentleness. Not judgment. And this is a problem in the church because the job of restoration is often neglected in the church. And churches have a tendency to either pretend the sin never happened or isn't happening among them. Or we tend to react too harshly toward someone who has sinned and make them feel like they're nothing. And that there is no way to return from this. This is the unpardonable sin kind of a thing. But the balance, the balance is allowing God to use a spiritual, a mature Christian the way he wants to use that person into that person's life. You know, unfortunately, when sin gets revealed, people typically turn to the flesh and respond to someone, someone's sin with gossip or harsh judgment or even undiscerning approval. You know, he's a boy, you know, he's a young man, you know, it's, you know, it's just the way young men are, you know, God will love him and take him, we'll deal with it, just let him alone, we'll figure it out. No. There's two extremes, right? The pendulum swings both ways. People allow, as we've studied in the scriptures in first, second, first and second Corinthians and others, how the church was allowing sin to, to just dwell within the body. And it was causing ravage problems. People knew someone was, a couple was, you know, uh, going to church, but they weren't, they weren't married. Acting like they were married. People didn't want them. Don't go spend time around them because you might find out they're not married. Don't let the pastor know. Well, guess what? God always reveals things to me. <laughs> Doesn't mean I don't know. But the thing is, once you know, and they consider themselves a believers, it has to be addressed. If they're non-believers, you still have to gently let them know what this God's, God says about it. But you're, you're trying to restore Christians back into right relationship with God. And those who are not believers, you're trying to lead them to Christ to get saved. But you're still going to do it in gentleness. You're still going to allow the God to do the work through you, not force that work by your own ways. But Paul says we must. And we do that with a view of a humbleness to know that if we're not careful, we too, as he says right there at the very end of that verse there, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. But here's where the challenge comes. You can be so 
spiritually prideful that you think you would never fall to the sin that you're about to address in someone's life. You're about to go down. I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, if you have a spiritual pride to think you can't fall to any sin, then you don't know the scripture. You don't know your heart. Because any of us are prone to any sin. So when you come to help another Christian who is in sin, you do it in a spirit of gentleness, a humbleness, because you know that that was you in the past or that could be you if you're not careful. And so you do it in love and gentleness and long-suffering and kindness. All the fruit of the Spirit that God has brought and manifested in your life, that's how God is then going to use it in the lives of these people. But I assure you, if, if you don't have, if you're not walking by the Spirit and you don't, God hasn't, you're not mature enough in the faith and you're, the fruit of the Spirit is not, that, that love is not bearing your life, God is not going to use you to go around and find people in sin to try to restore them. Because you're probably going to do it in the flesh and you have to be very careful. That's where divisions happen in churches. That's where people will walk away from a church and never come back because they were not, someone did not, <clears throat> was not being guided by the Holy Spirit, wasn't done in gentleness, and they came boldly and really condemned and really made them feel in a way that just crushed them, in a way that they walked away from the church and never come back. 20 years later, why don't you go to church? You won't believe what happened 20 years ago in a church and what they said and blah, 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 blah. And that's what Satan used to, as his excuse never to go to church again. That's why Paul says very clearly, we must in a spirit of gentleness. Warren Wiersbe says, the, the influence of the legalist among the Galatians made this warning necessary. These religious guys. It says, nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism better than the way the legalists treat those who have sinned. You can always tell, tell a legalist just the way they deal with those who are weak in the faith or fall into a sin. Because it's not out of love. It's not out of gentleness. It's not in the spirit of, of, uh, of, uh, of restoring. The legalist is not interested in bearing the burdens of one another in gentleness. Instead, he adds to the burdens of others. We see that in Acts 15.10. This was one of the sins that Jesus declared against the Pharisees, those religious leaders, if you remember. In Jesus' day, he says, For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Matthew 23.4. you got to get that sin out of your life but they're not willing to invest in helping to restore that man. Just declare it and walk away from it. The legalist is always harder on other people than he is on himself. But the spirit-led Christian demands more of himself than he does of others that he might be able to help others. person who's walking the spirit will sacrifice their life and give for the sake of others to restore them back to the faith. 
but a legalist. Religious type. If it doesn't line up into the way their schedule is, the way how they're going to have happen, and the conditions they laid out, they won't do it. God is not going to use you in the lives of other people. Matter of fact, God wants to do a work in you, so let someone that God is going to use in your life to help you to bring you back to grace. Because that spiritual pride will destroy you and others. So why does Paul use this illustration? It's because nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism better than the way the legalists treat those who have sinned. Bring to mind. Bring to mind the Pharisees when they brought and dragged that woman who was caught in adultery before Jesus in John 8. Or the Jewish mob that almost killed Paul because they thought he had defiled the temple by bringing the, the Gentiles in there in Acts 21-27. Because a legalist, someone who is not walking in the Spirit, these religiosity type people, they don't need facts. They don't need proof. They need only assumptions and rumors and their self-righteous imaginations will do the rest. So Paul had to show a contrast here to these legalists who were causing problems within the Galatian churches here. Think about these men who have bewitched you. Think of these men who are swaying you away from the grace of God. Look at how they deal with these men and these women who have fallen into sin. Look at how they deal with this fallen, fallen brother. And the way, versus the way the spiritual man would deal with him. Because if you're a cardinal man, a cardinal man wants to reveal the sin of another. It is so quick. Did you see that? Did you see that? And tell everyone about it. Did you know that? Did you? It's a cardinal man. But the spirit, spiritual man wants to humbly and quietly restore that man. 1 Peter 4.8. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Will you allow God's love to work through your life to restore that man? Will you? Paul continues in verse 2. He says, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. He says, you talking about law? I'm not talking about the law of Moses here. I'm talking about the law of Christ. I'm talking about bearing one another's burdens. That's how you fill, fulfill the law of Christ. Paul brought to the idea of the, the one who is overtaken in any trespass. And it, you see the word any trespass in verse 1? I will help that person if he got trespassed in certain sins. But these sins over here, oh no. There's no help for him. No, no, no. Any trespass. There's no, there's no condition here. Any trespass. God says, you are, I can use you in the life of another person to come along and bear one another's burdens here. 
It paints a a picture here of a person who is so burdened. This person is so overloaded and heavy laden. He is is just saying, this person is not in sin. It's just the burdens, the weight is so heavy on them of what they're doing and how they've been doing it. As a mother, it's a huge burden on you. And God's called others, your husband, to come alongside and help you in that burden. Working and providing for a family. It's a huge weight and burden. God has brought you a spouse to come alongside you to help you in that burden. Like make, you, make sure you're fed. Your clothes are clean. you got a clean house. You have a comfortable house, a loving house to come to. Because you men, if you didn't have a wife, you know you would die. You would suffer so, and then you'd be trusting other men to come along and help you. You're really in trouble now. (laughs) Blind leading the blind, as they say. But God has put burdens on your life that no one else can bear. They can't, you can't have an attitude that says, oh, here comes a burden. I'm just going to give it to someone else who will just take it. Can you take the monkey burden off and I'll put it on your back? No, no, no. That's what God has put on you. I'm, God's called me to come alongside you and help you lift the heavy burden. Just to assist you, to help you. Because it's so crushing. The, the word here that, that is used in the Greek is a crushing burden. It's, it just, it's to help come along and bear one another's burden. To, to do it alongside. You don't replace that person. So many times we get overzealous and want to help someone, and you take the whole entire burden on yourself and they, to, to try to relieve it from them. But that's not how God designed it. You're come alongside to help them carry it, not take it from them to carry it. So we can't expect others to bear our, our burdens either. If you sit there and say, you need to bear this burden with me, Well, that is a self-focused attitude. It leads to pride. It leads to frustration. It leads to discouragement. And it leads to depression. When you have expectations that someone is going to take on burdens that is not what God has called that person to come alongside to do for you. Because God always directs us to be others-focused. To bear one another's burdens as he leads you in, in, around, and working with other people. And it's a simple command to obey. Just be a part of the fellowship. Be a part of people's lives. And as you're a part of people's lives, you will see a burden in this brother. You'll see a burden in this sister. And you will come and help them with it. It's not complicated. It doesn't take a huge program to do. You don't have to have an infrastructure to help this certain group of people. You just have to be obedient as God leads you to go and help that person. You don't have to have a program. You just have to come along saying, God, give me wisdom. How do I help that person? We've had many orthopedic, we have an orthopedic section in the back. 
So people have a tendency to get hurt. And so when people get hurt, they can't cook, they can't clean, they can't move, they can't take anything else. And so God puts on people's hearts to come alongside and help them. In times, carry them. In times, you just, but you get to go alongside and you know God is doing it and you're blessed, they're blessed. And that's how God works in the family. It's not convenient. It's not easy. It can be embarrassing. It can be all kinds of emotions. But you're going to do it anyway because that is what is right and what is good and what God's called us to do is to bear the other person's bear, uh, burdens along with them. But notice the assumption which lies with this comment that Paul makes. We all have burdens. All of us. And God does not mean uh, for us to carry them alone. Oh, I know. You controllers out there. You can handle all your burdens. I just know it. I've heard you say it. But I pray for you that you recognize today that you're not to have to bear all your burdens. When God sends you someone to help you, receive God's help. Amen? If you don't, you'll break. You'll fall down on the level, the heaviness, the pressure of those burdens will collapse you. And then you can't do what God's called you to do. It's hard for you to do anything for God because the burden you would not allow someone to help you has crushed you. And we do this to, so, so to fulfill the law of Christ. As we bear one another's burdens, we are fulfilling the simple law of Christ. John 13, verse 13, four, uh, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, Paul is battling these legalists, these Judaizers, all the way through this letter. And he's bringing it full, full, full force all the way around so that the Galatian believers will say, hey, you've got to stop listening to these guys and you need to come back to the truth of God. And then he's also dealing with these Judaizers and say, hey, he's trying to even restore, not restore them, but bring them, hey, you need Jesus Christ. You don't need that religion. You need to come to Jesus Christ. And you can fulfill the law of Christ right here by just loving God and loving others. Not according to how you would want to love, but according to says right here in John 13, that how I have loved you, God says. Love someone else how I have loved you. So instead of imposing some law and rules and regulations on these people, you should rather lift their burdens and so fulfill, the, fulfill Christ's law. Because a spiritual man would seek to restore a brother in love while the legalist would exploit the brother who's in sin. We want to restore. And just like a broken bone, or just like we see in the scriptures, like mending the net, with great care and with gentleness, you mend the net 
you mend the bone to restore that person to be able to be back for God's use. To be able to walk, to be able to fish, to be able to do what God's called them to do. If you remember, Jesus was our prime example of this. When Jesus was walking, what happened? When Jesus came and saw, and he was a physician to someone, he saw someone in sin, he actually healed them, that led them to bring them to a relationship with him. It's like a, being a physician to the sinful. He was severely criticized by these religious leaders, these Pharisees in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. So the spiritual believer today will be criticized for the, by the legalists. When you're out there helping someone in sin, some legalists will say, you shouldn't help them. You should be casting them out. They shouldn't be among us. They shouldn't be. No, you need to go and you need to restore and to bring them back into fellowship. Back into fellowship with God. If they're repentant hearts, they're willing to change. They're not talking about someone who's a habitual sinner or someone who doesn't want to give up their sin. We're talking about someone who doesn't want in in their lives, but they can't give it up. And they need help. You don't cast that brother aside. You go alongside and you help them restore them and encourage them through the word of, by the word of God, by love. To realize that God's love is more important than that drug. That God's love is more important than the pride that it causes him to, to do the things that he's doing. To encourage them. And to restore them. By love. Not out of fear. Not out of rules and regulations. But allow God to have room to move in that person's life. Patience, long-suffering, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 3, for if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So Paul says here, you're going to go out there and you're going to do these things. You're going to help restore these, these Christians and, and who are in sin. But even these Christians who are not in sin, they just have tremendous burdens in their life. A lot of weight in their life responsibilities at work, responsibilities at home, responsibilities in the community, just a house, a wind came and blew a house roof off. That is a tremendous burden on someone. Your house got flooded out. That is a tremendous burden. Do you know that you just humble yourself and ask for help? Or do you know it's important if you see and you're here, if you fellowship and you hear someone is, has to move, then you take, I want to help move you. It's a tremendous burden to move from one house to another. You don't need to bear it yourself. Just humbly ask if no one knows, because you didn't tell anybody in the fellowship. But once you tell people, then people, then God can use people to come and help you move or to restore a roof or to, to get the water out of the basement. Whatever the burden is so heavy. God wants to use you in the lives of other people. But Paul says, if, you, if anyone thinks himself to be something, I, you know who I am? I don't go down in the basements. I don't go deal with that. I, I, I'll come over here and I'll, you know, I'll do the clean, nice things. I don't go into attics. And I certainly don't go and clean toilets. 
But someone who's a carnal person would be the first one to tell you your toilets are not clean. But they won't go clean the toilets. Well, that's a burden of the church, right? Lots of people need to use the toilet. God's showing you they need to be clean. Guess what? Come alongside someone to help them get them clean. God's showing you. Bear the burden. It's simple. It's not complicated. The question is, as Paul says, if you think you're, some, you're something to be something, when you are nothing, right? When he is nothing, you're nothing. Apart from God, you're nothing. But if you do think yourself as being something, you've deceived yourself. You've been deceived. Pride prevents us from bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. Pride is probably, I would say, the number one reason why we do not minister to another person. And we should. Pride is self-focused. We're supposed to be others-focused. Pride says, I want people to help me or do something for me versus helping others. But you have to understand, Paul is writing to every Christian when he said, when he is nothing. Just because you're saved, just because God is using you in a mighty way, don't think you now are something. Because apart from God using and working through your life, you're nothing. You just keep that humble perspective and understand that God, I want to use, be used by you. It's only by your power that is going to be actually get that done and be able to give me the, uh, the abilities, the, 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 the wisdom and the whatever it may be to be able to do what God, you're calling me to do. And I guarantee you when God calls you, it will be completely against your flesh. Because <laughs> you'll be tested. Are you willing to die of self for the sake of helping that person? It will always test you. It will never be convenient. It will never fit in your time schedule and your calendar of events. Never. It always will cause you to make a decision Will you be obedient to God's calling to help that person or not? Paul writes the kind of the same idea in Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 3 and 4. In loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. See, because if I esteem you more than myself, and you esteem me above you, a marvelous thing happens. We have a community where everyone is looking up to and no one is looking down to on anyone. You're always looking up. You're always lifting someone up more important than you. You're always encouraging and putting them in a position in a way to show the honoring the other person of their respect of who they are. Calvin says, since all men are nothing, 
he who wishes to appear to be something and persuades himself that he is somebody has deceived himself. We don't want to be deceived. We want to understand. Because being this, this, this self-deceptive of pride, this pride blinds you and I. Pride will blind you from making the right decisions. From, I don't need God. That is pride, and it will lead you to eternal damnation and to hell. I don't need to help that person. That's pride. I don't need anybody's help. That's pride. Pride will blind you. Blind, blind you to the freely given favor and the gifts of God. It blinds you to our sin and depravity that can be in our lives. It can blind you to the good in others. It can blind you to the foolishness of self-centeredness. It will blind you to the things that you need to hear and see. We must get the pride out of our lives. And we often get quite angry when someone deceives us. You've deceived me. You get, you get really torqued. I mean, you get really hair standing up the back of your neck kind of moment. Yet don't take the danger of deceiving ourselves as seriously as we should. Don't, don't deceive yourself of what needs to be changed in one's life. You know, this explains the great deception, right? We have a great example of Jesus loving and, and carrying the burdens and, and, and it's just tremendous, right? That's our example. That's who we follow. That's who we watch and see and study and get to know. But Satan is also in a good example of what we're talking about here. Satan himself, if there's anyone greater to, of one who has deceived himself, it's Satan himself. He thought he was something when he was nothing. He wanted to be God. He wanted control. Before and after his fall, he continues to deceive himself because he believes he can still win when he's already lost. And that's what happens with people with sin or pride. They're blinded to the sin before their fall, and as they're spiraling out of control and they're going down further and further into their sins, they privately think they can stop themselves from falling, or they privately think, oh, it'll happen to them, but it will never happen to me kind of conversations you have in your head. As the whole time you're spinning out of control, and then even after you've crashed and burned, people still can be prideful and think, I will figure out my way out of this. That's Satan. No different. I'll figure out and I'll figure it and do it my way. No, that's why Paul says, but eat, let each one examine his own work and then he will re have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So instead of deceiving ourselves, we must take a careful and real examination of what we're doing in our life. What we're doing for God and how we're doing it. And if we don't, we will carry on under a self-deception and think we are just fine and right and God's approval is there and everything else when it's really not. 
We want all of our works, all everything that we do for God. We want it approved by God. We want it that God is, on, is, 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 is in approval with what we do and say. We want, we want him to, to be guiding us and be in full agreement with these things. Not because we're trying to force God to do it, but the fact that we're just, we're just following a line and following what he's asked us to do. We want his approval. So that we rejoice in the day of the reward that will come our way because he'll look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But not in the work of another. Do you use someone's fall and sin to make yourself look better? Whoa. I've never done that. Oh, I didn't do that. Oh, did you hear what he did? The scripture is speaking to you. Or do you know yourself? Do you please, do you seek to please God in everything you say and do? Because let's not try to impress others with your importance. It comes in all facets in the children and in the church world. I'm important because. I know more scripture than you. I'm more important because I've been walking with Christ longer than you. I'm more important because I read the Bible more often than you. Or I pray more eloquently than you. Or you see what God has called me to do up here, you know what I'm saying? And you know, your positions in here over in the church, these things you think you're important, it's just pride. And we can't allow that to happen. God doesn't want that to happen in you. Just do the things that God has called you to do, regardless of whether anyone notices or appreciates you for doing it. That's the that's the really the kind of the thing that you've got to come as you're in the in the church and you're serving and God's using you is to be able to do what God's called you to do, regardless of anyone notices or appreciates and says anything. Because you know that God is pleased with what you're doing because you're doing exactly what he's called you to do. And you're content with that. You're actually rejoicing as the scripture here. Rejoice in your own work. You're not, your eyes you're not going to focus over on someone else's sin and what they're, working, they're doing or not doing. It's not, not going to happen. You're not going to rejoice in their fall. You're not going to try to lift yourself up by someone else's fall. That's the world's way. But Paul here says, for each one shall bear his own load. The Bible speaks of a day when our works will be examined before the Lord. The judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, where we see in Romans 14.10 and 2 Corinthians 5.10. And on that day, each one of us shall bear his own Lord. There will be an examination. There will be looked, our whole life will be looked right in front of us and you will see what we did with a right heart for God and what pleased God and what was not and that will just be, that will just burn away. There won't even be any rewards for that. Only what was of God and what was right with God and when we did those things. But we see here in our scriptures today there's a commandment for you and I. We are to 
help restore a Christian who's fallen to sin and who's desperately trying to get out of that sinking pit. And if God is going to use you, do it in gentleness. And use by the scriptures, by this only the scriptures to help them come out. There is no other way than the, the word of God. Don't use the wisdom of man or your own wisdom and your own use the word of God only. And two, when you find a Christian who has heavy burdens that are about to crush them, about they can't it's hard for them to carry. And it will come in all sizes and forms and shapes and experiences. So when the next flood comes, the next cold weather comes, and someone's lost, whatever trauma issue comes up, be willing to be used by God to help them. Cook that meal. Transport them. Sit down and have a cup of tea with them. Just listen to them. Whatever it is, come alongside and for each one shall bear our own load. There's things that we're going to bear that others are not able to bear. God is going to have us bear it. But there's other things that God is going to have us come and help lighten the load to help them through a, different, a, a difficult situation. But may God give us wisdom to know when do we just need to... We need to step up and get the things done. God, help me and, and give me the wisdom to do this. Versus God saying, I need to reach out and ask someone for help. Or if someone wants to help me, I need to receive that help willingly. You've got to have, ask God to help you in that. We, have, we all do. And also pray for God's wisdom when to open up and share your burdens. Because there's wisdom in when you share your burdens with another person and when you do not. You do not share your burdens with someone you know is not mature and walking in the spirit. You don't want to share, you don't need to share their burdens because you might get worldly wisdom or carnal wisdom. But be wise in who God asks you to share your burdens with that, that can come along and help you. And it may not be the same person every time. Amen.